Welcome to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. Here, you will find discussion on all things EMDR from MDR-approved trainers and consultants, as well as some co-hosts. EMDR is an approach to the entire therapeutic journey, not just reprocessing trauma. This podcast will feature discussion on the therapeutic relationship, understanding and using the original eight-phase protocol, and what to do to bring deeper understanding to the why behind EMDR and what to do when you're stuck. This podcast is an invitation to connect and learn together about EMDR and the process of psychotherapy. We are glad that you're here. Hey guys, welcome back to Notice That, an EMDR podcast. I am here with two special guests for an interview today. So we are doing a Zoom setup. Those of you that are just listening audio, I've got my laptop here, Zoom set up um, for an interview style podcast. And those of you that are watching, um, you'll get to kind of see both screens here. So welcome Anne and Annie. And I can promise I'm going to mix them up at some point. But Annie, as you mentioned, you're Princess Annie. And Princess so of, Monaco. Princess, you know, like okay. Princess of Monaco. Yeah. That's yes. remember. <laughs> so that's going to be my tool for trying to remember. Which I guess um, makes me a commoner, but that's okay. <laughs> okay. I think we can have two princesses on this call. <laughs> or queen. Or queen. queen. Yes. <laughs> So welcome both of you and thank you guys so much for taking the time to be on here. Um, Bridger wanted to be on so badly and had to leave the office today for take care of some personal matters. But um, he did want me to tell you that thank you guys for coming and he's sad to miss the interview, but hopefully we'll connect again at some point in the future. Absolutely. Well, I'm excited. I'm a fan of the podcast. That's that's always so strange to hear when people say that every time, because I feel like I'm when we're doing interviews in this place of like, oh, I'm so excited to meet you guys and hear what you're doing and hear all the expertise that you have in your fields. So let's start with giving the listeners like a little bit of an overview of who you are individually, but then what your relationship has been and kind of what you guys are focusing on together. You want me to go first? I, I, you'd better go first. And Jen, you haven't described to your listeners what I have on. What Annie's Yes. <laughs> I, I have my wizard hat on and yes. I have magical glasses. So I'll take them off. Oh, oh, I came into the commonplace. Okay. So I'm Annie Monaco. I'm a licensed clinical social worker. I live in Buffalo, New York. Um, and really my my over the years, I became an EMDR trainer, an EMDR basic trainer. So I do lots of those kinds of trainings. And so my focus since the beginning of my career has always been working with children and teens. Um, So for many years, I provided um, EMDR therapy and family therapy to kids who were at risk with the law. They would get in trouble with the law and they would come to my program when I worked at a clinic. So since I've been in private practice, I've done a lot of work with foster care kids, out-of-country adoptions, And now, really, my practice is focusing on children who are DID or high on the dissociation um, scales or coping or using it as strategies. So that's me. 
There's wow. so, I'm sure there's so much more. There is. Oh, yeah, <laughs> right. yeah. We'll we'll dive deeper. Um, she's yeah. also a good cook, by the way. She I always good makes. Cook. Cook. Uh, um, so I my background is as a play therapist. Um, and so I was trained in play therapy. I have mostly focused on working with younger children. Sometimes I've done some other things. I uh, was sent by my agency to EMDR training. Um, and Annie was my teacher. Oh my gosh. <laughs> and I was one of the students who like sits right in the front row and who's like, um, how Difficult. am I going to do this with kids? Challenging. This is boring. <laughs> Where are the toys? My toys. So um, I have I have one of my favorite puppet friends here. So anyway, all of that to say that Annie and I began a collaboration back in those days, partly in order to get me to use EMDR. Annie had to resort to a lot of things. <laughs> um, but once, you know, once that integration started happening in, I think, inside each of us, yeah. right, that, you know, also we were, I was sharing some of how play therapists have used the, the play therapy room and space to hold trauma content in, in the literal physical space. And I think yeah. that that's where now, you know, 10 years, 12 years later, we co-edited a book and that was really a turning point for us yes. because we also discovered there were other people in the community who were trying to integrate these models and really making trauma work, not just, you know, dressing it up with a few bells and whistles for kids, but actually in a deep way, using play yeah. as a way to access the memory network. So um, our book is uh, is about EMDR with kids in play therapy setting. Mm -hmm. And um, we wrote chapters in it, but there are other contributors too. And a lot of people who are dually trained, dually credentialed in both approaches and just trying to take, do some next level work around that. Yeah. So that's what we do when we do some trainings together. We have a business together called Playful EMDR. Yeah. And um, we also have a lot of fun. And I do still have a private practice myself yeah. where I specialize in, in trauma work with, with very young children. Okay. Um, you know, and as you're talking about like being that student that's saying like, how, I, I don't know, like we ask these questions of, but I work with kids. I resonate with that so much as a training participant myself, I was working with a lot of kids in foster care, young children. And um, the training I went to, as we know, as basic trainers, like you have to fit so much into that time. It's hard yeah. to say, like, how do I say it for kids and adults all at the same time? So they had this little breakout session and it was just over lunch one day. And I remember like being so excited, but then feeling kind of discouraged at the end of it is like, I'm just learning all of this, but how does it actually translate with a five-year-old who has no idea what a negative cognition is yeah. or like oh, a scale yeah. of zero to 10? And yeah. a lot of the suggestions were small changes, but it was kind of like, here's standard protocol, but maybe do bilateral with a puppet. And I'm like, it still doesn't fully translate. So uh -huh. hearing you guys talk about like, no, from like the roots how do we start to integrate something as robust as EMDR, but bring it into something very like natural for a child like play? Yeah. And the urgency of needing to do that. I think it's no accident that, you know, Annie started, you know, her work with uh, juvenile offenders. And we know what happens if kids get to adolescence with yeah. unprocessed trauma. Yeah. So yeah. the urgency of getting EMDR to kids you know, in those earlier years, especially the, the kids that Annie and I especially want to talk about 
the complex trauma, early trauma mm -hmm. attachment. Um, it's so urgent that we do as much as we can while they're still children and can experience the, the you know, support of adults, maybe new caregivers or, you know, resourced caregivers. Because if they don't, when you get to adolescence, the risks just shoot way up. Yeah. So. Yeah. 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 And I, and I, and I talk about that, right? Like it's, it's being able to deliver the eight phases in a very playful way, because mm -hmm. there's lots of risks here because children will say, I don't want to do that. Parents will say my child regressed. Right. So we really teach therapists, you know, and, and our, we call it our fundamentals training of eight hours of understanding. They see videos, they see you know, how we're working with kids of how you can deliver this reprocess traumas and big changes will occur in kids in a fairly quickly manner. And most yeah. therapists say, wow, I didn't realize I could do it that way. Mm -hmm. um, there is ways to do this and not wait and stay in preparation phase. So one thing I think I get asked a lot from consultees or supervisees about working with kids in with complex trauma is how do we go about reprocessing these deep wounds of attachment wounds, um, addressing this when they're, when they're not stabilized, there's like no stabilization for them in this moment. Maybe they have just moved into a new home or maybe they're still with like their primary caregiver who is a perpetrator in some way of some type of neglect or um, how do we begin to find the safety that's necessary to go back yeah, that's a great question. Do you want me to go? Yeah, please. Well, in one, so in my one chapter that I wrote for the book, you know, I give case examples about cases where the, the caregivers, the primary caregivers are not able to provide secure and safety. Right. So, mm -hmm. so, but yet here's this kid languishing in deep, pain and now I'm wanting to do reprocessing of their memories and yet there's there's you know stuff going on in their home life. And so I talk a lot about being creative, right? So so creativity might be, you know, one time there was a boy who had been badly burned. It was over like 75% of his body. He was mm -hmm. in foster care. I wasn't thrilled with the foster home. And I went to the school and got the two kindergarten teachers to agree to be the support for him. So I would do mm. processing with him on Sunday. The foster mom could do something Sunday night for me, meaning like she, you know, made sure he was safe and okay. And then Monday through Friday, these two teachers went out of their way to make this kid feel safe and comfortable and taken care of. And mm. within three sessions, he was able to reprocess the burns. And to the point that he came in one day and had shorts and a t-shirt on. And I looked at him and I said, you have shorts on. And he goes, yeah, it's hot out. <laughs> and I go, oh, wear shorts. You know, he's five, right? And he and I go, because you're Burns. And he goes, I don't care about that anymore, right? Oh, and it was God. that case that I said, I can do this. I can do this with people that they don't live with, right? I mm -hmm. need somebody. Mm -hmm. And I'm also a person who looks to extended family. And I try to get, um, you know, I have had, aunts and uncles call on the phone after a session to a kid if the caregivers can't do it or grandparents or somebody that can provide support while I move forward. So yeah. I think 
again, what we try to do in our trainings is expand the creativity, expand how you can get a child supported. Maybe it's another agency that's going into the home. Maybe I see that kid twice a week, Mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Lots of options here. It doesn't just mean getting that home life totally stable and secure. There has to be something there, but there's other ways. And I think that piece of, I mean, you start to mention, maybe I can see him twice a week. We can't underestimate the safety that we're trying to create in the room may be the one anchor of safety they have, but it's enough to launch out to reprocess this material because they have an anchor there with with you. And even just like you wearing that hat and those glasses, and then I see all the toys behind you. Like for a kid, there's like almost this immediate like, development of like, oh my gosh, this is someone who's speaking my language. They're free to just play with me and connect on that level. That's pretty precious experience for kids because not a lot of adults do that kind of thing. Adults are always wanting to teach you something. Exactly. Right. Um, Which is where, I mean, it can be difficult to do directive strategies with kids in counseling who are overloaded on that or are very you know, their attachment pattern is set up to defy. So, mm-hmm. um, so being able to weave in and out of playful activities and, you know, be somewhat child centered, use what the child enjoys as your way into all of that work. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I would say the other piece that has really um, been a factor for me, you know, thinking about attachment and about the family system is understanding that I have to I have to not be satisfied with the status quo in terms of mm-hmm. the caregiver's attachment patterns with me, right? And to oh. see, you know, if I see this as I am now an attachment figure in this system. Yeah. So I have to model what I need them to do for the child towards the parent. Mm-hmm. Um, and that includes often giving parents a chance to participate in a structured way that they can be very successful at. So, you know, I get a lot of people asking me, about, you know, should parents be in the room when their children are processing? And there's not a one-size-fits-all answer. There are many, many ways to use parents as a resource, um, even if they're not parents who are attuned enough or flexible enough to do, you know, to tolerate what, you know, their children's trauma work. You know, for a lot of parents, their children's trauma is also their trauma. Absolutely. You know, and I say that as an adoptive parent, that my children's traumas that happened to them before I adopted them are also part of my trauma now. So managing all of that can be a lot, but it's definitely worth trying to find ways to make that caregiver even this successful. Yeah. And structure is the way. Mm-hmm. Doing that. And I have one um, case where I just could not, this parent was too emotional, too caught up in their own feelings to be present to this kid, but it was big targets. And, you know, I was concerned about the fact that I couldn't use the parent as a resource that I had nervousness about that. So we had like a ball of yarn rolled out to the waiting room and the parents only job was to hold their end. And during processing, if my little client who was four, if he needed mommy, he could pull on the yarn and she would do exactly what to do. She would come in, she would give him a hug and say, you're a superhero. And then she'd go back out to the waiting room. So she and I set that up ahead of time. Oh. And that's, that's the interweave, right? That's a just resource. Got chills. I've never heard her tell that story. That's like well, because so they're on the other yeah. end of the yarn, right? They're always there. Yeah. So 
it's uh, to me, the play there, what play therapy has to offer to EMDR is play therapist training is about how to make the the room, the materials to understand how all of this is symbolic and all of this is something you can touch. um, You make manifest in the world because kids don't visualize, they can't remember, they're not well time oriented. So that yarn is the connection to mom, right? And it, but it Mm -hmm. also had this added benefit of being in just enough structure that she felt her contribution to the process and it changed her a little bit. So, so I push my consultees not to write off parents, not to talk about parents pejoratively, not to, you know, not to be like, oh, that mom is not a resource. Like, I don't ever want to hear that. Maybe that mom is only this much resource. If, and if I give her structure, she could stretch to here. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, But that's going to come from my attachment as well. And it's a lot of work, but it's worth doing. So. Man, I, I think that piece, because parents can be really challenging. I mean, just very frankly, it can be challenging to work with parents when we're working with kids, but I can't see that there's any other way. Like that's the home they go back into. That is the environment and, and the people who are with them and all the other hours of the day and teachers, and we get the one hour. Um, And so how do we do that work without them? I just don't think it's possible. We use the definition of trauma is that it's anything that's too much too soon, too much for too long, or too little for too long, especially in the absence of attunement. Mm. And so when we're talking about these kids with complex trauma, the, the experiences they're facing are traumatic, but really the piece that sets it over the edge is that missing attunement. I don't feel seen and co-regulated with you know, an attachment figure. And so if we're really looking at resiliency to trauma where it's not, you know, this PTSD diagnosis, but what's it look like to be resilient and heal from trauma, we have to find figures in their world to be able to attune and learn how to attune to that. Yeah. I, you know, I'm thinking it's a case I have now and it's an adoptive mom. She's older. And so very old world values. Everything's a task. Get the, get your homework done, you know? So to make her more empathetic, I finally started having her in the sessions to do the reprocessing of his, of his trauma with his birth parents. And wow, how she has shifted because she's Mm -hmm. hearing his story. Um, and I just now see this very attuned mother, right? She's now contacting with him. She's connecting. She's hugging him more. She's like, he had, you know, he he talked a little bit more about this. And I assured him that, you know, I'll take care of him. But wow, what a shift, right? Yeah. And, you know, yeah. And, and then I make her be playful, you know, because every reprocessing of a memory is very, very playful. And so she is seeing this interaction of him talking about his traumatic event while doing a parade around my room, while doing a sword fight with me, while we're doing patty cake, and she has to partake in all of it. And it's shifted her that I no longer have to have extra sessions to say, you know, you disciplining him this way, you hitting him, you this, you that. It's now, uh, she actually sent me a fortune cookie right after a big session yesterday, he said, you need to show Annie what I got my fortune cookie. And it said, 
um, clearing up the past will help you begin to get ready for the future. Oh, and I was like, I got chills. First of all, that he asked her to send it to me because this is the seven-year-old that I say, can we talk about your past? And he goes, no, I don't want to. Right. And then I go, oh, but we're going to sword fight about it. And he goes, oh, okay, I'll do it then. Right. And then we're going to do, you know, we're going to do tapping stuff while you talk about it. We're going to do patty cake, um, pillow fight, whatever. And then he's like, yeah, I'll talk about it. And, you know, and I'm also showing her how to work with resistance in the room because I'll say to him, can we talk about this? And I'll go, no. And she's ready. Yeah. To, starts with, you got to talk about, you know, and I go, no, we don't do that. We don't tell kids. I go, let's play while we talk about it. And yes. so having parents in the room, mm-hmm. reprocessing can be really, really powerful. But again, there it has to be a lot of prepping to get parents in that room. Yeah. Do you guys run into, I mean, I'm thinking of parents and therapists alike, where like play like that is almost scary. Like it's, they have so many defenses around the freedom of themselves to just play and be silly and like let down some of those guards and shields that, you know, I wonder if you guys run into that and how do you guide and support someone in kind of moving through that? Cause that's therapy alone to, to learn how to play is so therapeutic. Yeah. Yeah. I would say, um, you know, having people think about therapy being embodied Right. And this is, of course, such a movement in our field right now anyway. But, you know, one of the things that I have told consultees is if you are have a younger kid in the room, you should not be sitting more than 25 percent of the minutes mm-hmm. of your question. Oh, that's a great kind of just like guide. Right? Yeah, Because if you are what you've done, it, some kids will do it. They will sit primly across from you and do even do standard protocol ish work. Um, but that doesn't mean that it's really reaching the parts of the nervous system it needs to. And it doesn't mean that you're sending these cues of safety that we're talking about, um, which happen when there's a kind of unself-conscious moments of, of delight, of movement, of connecting mm-hmm. to the body. So I say, you know, start less directively. And first of all, let kids show you what they like to play with. Mm-hmm. Now, some mm-hmm. kids freeze, so then that you need they need you to structure it. But for the ones who don't, um, having like non-content oriented play as a part of the, you know, way you kind of bookend your work or how you help in the early mm-hmm. sessions, um, you know, to even as you sort of little by little are gathering information, you're doing phase one stuff but also a lot of physical opportunities yeah. for physical. Um, and I think sometimes there's a therapist feel a lot of pressure that like every minute has to be didactic in some way. Mm. Yes. Um, yeah. And so, so that, you know, that may come also from our own attachment styles, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So mm. you know, one of the things that I think is very powerful is for therapists to have an awareness of their own Mm-hmm. sense of being embodied or not being comfortable, being silly, being able to, you know, yeah. sit in a yeah. national podcast, wearing a wizard hat, yeah. just for right. right. <laughs> everybody come like this. Um, <laughs> you might be the first, Danny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I got it. No, it just, I think really being, um, you know, cultivating in ourselves, the personal therapist kind of stuff around yeah. comfortable in our own bodies, being able and noticing what's going on in our own bodies mm-hmm. in the room as a tool, and then teaching kids to notice that too. And that of course leads 
perfectly towards EMDR. So, mm-hmm. you know, even in this kind of non-directive way, as I'm just kind of reflecting like, oh, I'm getting hot right now from running around or oh, I'm feeling kind of tired today. Let's lay down and, you know, pretend bubbles are falling on us or whatever. We do these somatic type yeah. things. And, you know, Annie taught me to collect these. So one of the things that I learned from Annie is that you should have a collection of these kinds of like, she calls them like soothing and grounding, yeah. like things that bring you into presence or kind of soothe the nervous nervous system. And they aren't heavily content oriented. This isn't tell me your deep feelings, right? This is mostly notice the body, try this weird thing, and then notice the body. Like we should do one right now, don't you think? Yeah, I would love that. We'll look, Let's do yoga. one on Jen. Laughing yes. How about we do both? Okay. We have to get up though. Yeah. So, okay. so we teach wood chop pose. You can't probably get up, but we'll do it. We'll get up. Um, okay. So you can chop from your seat, from your chair. So, okay. so we, t- so I do this a lot with parents and kids to do this after school. Okay. So, cause this, the pressure of kids come home after school, the parent goes, get the homework done. Right. And then it's just this unbelievable tension that occurs in the household. Then that yeah. the night and punishment and all of this. So I teach parents to do these little things that it just gets everybody's nervous system reset. That's and everybody understands that. Okay. Uh-huh. Yeah. With the limited education, we'll understand getting your body reset, right? So we do a chop pose. So you pick up the axe over your head. And we always want sound. And so we go, ah. And so as we go down, <laughs> you're chopping what ah, right? Oh, ah. Right. <laughs> Or we could do something like laughing yoga, which is. <laughs> right. So then they immediately reset the parent who's got their own stuff going on. And I feel really good Where now. Feel good? I feel happy. Good. I'm ready to do my homework. Which part, which part of your body feels good? I'm I find think, it. I mm-hmm. think right here feels good. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, so we're teaching parents to de-stress. Really. That's what we're doing. Right. Everybody's stressed, right? The and the pandemic has made all of this so much worse, right? So yeah, people don't understand how to reset their nervous system in very quick, simple ways. Now, if I have a parent who's like, I don't do that, and I do have that, then we have to find different ways to get them to engage in this process. Mm-hmm. Because what's happening at home really contributes to whether I'm going to do EMDR processing right? It's those parents who have high stress homes for lots of good reasons. And right. they come to my session where I'm thinking I'm doing processing today on their memory. And they come in with, he got in trouble at school. This happened, this happened. Yeah. And so we have to teach some of those soothing and grounding as preparation work. And the way to do that is in your office. And even the parent who just doesn't want to do laughing yoga can't help but laugh at me while I'm doing <laughs> Yeah, I've got you from up here of angry at your kid to about down here. And at least you can start to have conversations with me. Well, and what a a neat way to level playing fields. Like 
when there's such a power dynamic between adult and child, parent and child, that's just kind of innate in our culture. And then different homes have more of that than others. But we come in from school and then there's the expectation of the adult is saying, you need to do this and this. We're in this like power dynamic where what a moment of leveling the playing field and we're in this synchrony of we're doing the same thing and experiencing the vulnerability of it, the fun in it, the delight, like all of these things becoming shared. Yeah. Well, and the the kind of next layer stuff. So something that comes naturally to a securely attached parent-child pair is the parent has the ability to sort of understand things through the child's eyes, right? They can mentalize, they understand they have a mental map of, oh, yeah. it's crabby. They might be hungry. They might be tired. Oh, maybe it's a thing that happened yesterday. And this is the, you know, for parents who come in with their own attachment history, many of them have every intention of being excellent parents mm-hmm. who show up. But then this capacity to do that, lots of things can interrupt it. So I like to start that kind of process with the fun stuff and then be like, okay, you have to tell me now, which one do you think your kid liked the best or don't help mommy? She, I'm going to ask her which, you know, which, which activity you like the most or just little things like that. You start with positives. And then obviously we would like to build the capacity for the parents to notice their children's distress and yeah. have about that, right? Like that's such an uh, essential kind of attachment. Yeah. And that's that, attune- yeah, that attunement piece, oh. which for me is like the the most key ingredient to healing any of our traumas we have to feel what it's like to be attuned in that activation and the, those techniques we just demonstrated also help with dissociation right so you know now we're kind of coming into this because why i did a lot of those soothing and grounding was really to get kids present in my office and teach parents mm-hmm. how to get get kids present because, you know, many foster care kids, out-of-country adoptions, kids are glazed over. They got yeah. parts of self. And then you have parents who are like, he's not listening to me. And I'm like thinking, no, he's probably dissociating on you. Yeah. Right? And so teaching parents, how do you get your kids grounded? We, you know, we teach parents to use scents. We teach parents to use lotions, um, maybe interactive games to get kids more in the present. So lots of, you know, mm. we we honestly have about 50 different ways um, of getting people present in the collection in the collection. Um, Mm -hmm. You know, Anne talked about woo or humming. We teach people to hum, right? Because humming is going to reset your nervous system. So Mm -hmm. a parent might be more likely to go, okay, I'll do humming. Mm, Okay. So, you know, and again, we teach them to make faces at each other when they do that. And I say to parents, you do two minutes of something playful, I can pretty much guarantee you've reset everybody's nervous system in the house. Yeah. Right. Oh, and that's, that's the start. And so that's the start of interaction at home. And that's the start of our sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, you no, know, because everybody comes with the list of, I got to tell you what my kid did this week. And that's not a great way to start therapy. <laughs> So I, I want to get more into the working with dissociation. And I know that's an area of specialty. And it's one of those things that is, I, I feel like is so much more prevalent than we even recognize or like culturally than what we're identifying. Um, it's happening in so many ways. And it, it became 
very stigmatized in some ways. So we're all kind of afraid of it, or there's like an energy around it. And I think our culture is hitting this place of like, we're now talking about it more openly and acknowledging and recognizing how um, natural of a defense mechanism it is for all of us and to not have to feel afraid of it. So Annie, I'm really curious, you work quite a bit with dissociation with children. Is that right? So, you know, where we start is how to explain dissociation to children and to adults. And this is where we have a friend here. You probably didn't know we had somebody else here. And this is um, all me. Oh, another guest. (laughs) Yes. Yes. All me was sitting patiently there. So Almi has parts in her head. And so I'm going to give them to Anne. Um, So Almi is just one doll. But all me, I believe this might be the part that's been getting all me into trouble. Okay, very angry part Mm -hmm. for the for the listeners on audio. That part is happy. Yes, now yes, this part maybe goes to school and likes their teacher. So So Annie's got this doll, like a very a plush doll. and with little mini parts all inside, kind of in head, and as she's pulling out and revealing each one, they all have a different expression. This is beautiful. Yeah. And oh then my the gosh. Wounded part is inside the <gasps> heart. Okay. Mm-hmm. So we use this doll in lots of different ways. Um, and, you know, for oh me, my gosh. helping caregivers understand dissociation is through all me because all me really helps them go. That's my kid, right? So let me guess your kid is destroys things at home, um, says they didn't do it. Says they're hitting their siblings. Um, maybe they're so anxious. Um, and so we talk about all these parts of self. We talk about all of us have parts of self. And then we talk about how that part in their heart got the most wounded. And this, you know, all me has been one of the ways that I help people really understand why kids are fragmented, why they have parts of self, what happened to the wounded part that created some of these hostile, aggressive perpetrator parts, right? And for kids too, you know, it's a way (laughs) we explain um, what's going on inside of you. And mm-hmm. so I, you know, I have a new foster care case. I've only had one session. They just came back yesterday. And I said to the caregiver, the, the foster mom, and I said, how's things going? And she said, interestingly, since you met with her the first time and explained parts of self, she actually has improved her behavior. <laughs> she mm-hmm. totally gets it. She'll say things like my angry part is out the part that got hurt by my, you know, uh, biological mom, uh, she'll say the name. Um, And so this parts language naturally just occurred in the home for the past few weeks. They had been see me sooner. So yesterday she came in ready and willing to talk about the past where she had clearly said to me, Mm -hmm. I'm never telling you anything that happened to me. And so, you know, this parts language is it's, I just make it very normal with parents and we, Sometimes I'll share my parts, not in a too much of a way, but just kind of helping understand I have parts, you have parts. Do you notice yourself? Sometimes you get really mad or sometimes you get really anxious. And so people Mm -hmm. naturally understand the concept. 
Right. And they As do, you, they start to understand that, you know, to protect a part that has had, you know, too much, too long, as you mm-hmm. so put it, it takes quite a bit of, yeah. you know, of defense to do that. Um, and so I, I just want to add that, you know, with kids, talk is kind of only worth so much, right? But visuals and interaction and even, you know, I've, I had a kid, I, kids interact with the, with all me doll in different ways. Yeah, they have absolutely. some creative ideas for what might be going on. But, um, I just had one kid recently and all I did, I just picked up the wounded part in the middle of what we were doing some processing. And I just started rocking mm-hmm. that part. And I said, do you want to, do you want to take a turn? Um, and I'm like, that little part had, had very hard times. Right. So what you have now is you have the child showing compassion to their own wounded part. We yeah. know in dissociation work in, in parts with, we know this is, this is the ultimate resourcing. Absolutely. Your little self. So it's just kind of naturally having toys that evoke that I think facilitates that. Um, and it's just laying around ready to be used. So one, and I was going to say that while Annie was describing it, one, Annie, I noticed this like rhythm and like, almost wave in the way that you were speaking as you were like revealing each part. And I felt my nervous system just kind of like calm into that. And then my eye caught you and holding that wounded part and rocking. Yeah. And just, yeah, patting and voluntarily actually. Yes. And it just, it cued my nervous system into this, my own feeling of like nurturance and like regulation and feeling that soothing that you're offering that doll, being able to feel that. And Annie, what your voice was offering. So the hypnotic voice, we talk a lot about the hypnotic voices. We talk to children, to parents, you know, it's a, it's a purposeful voice that I do with intonation, slowing down. And Mm. it's, many different reasons. Um, It's really engaging to the parent to get me to slow down. And sometimes they'll say, do you want to join me? And just kind of slowing down right now. I know this is an Mm. upsetting topic, right? Getting people to slow down. Well, to me, those, those pieces that you guys both just demonstrated without even like acknowledging it, those are what are speaking to kids and actually influencing and shaping their nervous system and creating these templates and interweaves in the work so much more than like speaking about something so much more than like telling them about it. You rocking that doll is already cueing this like soothing feeling and regulation. And like she, this sense that like, wow, and desires to like nurture and hold and like take care of that part. I wonder if that part of me is deserving of that and worthy of that. And maybe I want some of that. So there's so much nonverbal happening in all of this. Well, and you know, when you think, take it to processing now, so, you know, if we're talking about trying to do EMDR with the most wounded parts, with the attachment Mm -hmm. targets, the, the terrible things that happened or didn't happen, um, Often, you know, we know that maybe the ability to hold that is very, very small. Yeah. We don't want to do no processing. So that's why I was like, isn't a little processing better than none? Uh So being able to, you know, for example, engage a child in play with a baby doll or with, you know, with a little wounded, oops, that's the wrong one. Here we go. Uh, Little, little wound, little me. 
Um, little me, you know, need, I have the child, like, let's find some things in the room for little me. What's, well, you know, what's her favorite things? Or, you know, we're going to put Tucker in bed. We're going to do all this stuff. Then sometimes kids with those attachment histories will be, they'll turn on her, right? Mm-hmm. They'll turn on that wounded part. And, and, you know, maybe they're touching on almost a reenactment kind of play of their own attachment wounds. That's a moment where I can do some EMDR. very quickly, very, very quickly with what I know about them, their attachment history and the, and the tools say, and, and that baby doesn't feel safe, but you know, babies should feel safe. I, you know, we want to be able to feel safe and let's just, I wonder how that feels to be that baby here. You give her a rock too. Um, And you were, you used to be a baby, right? Saying you had those feelings too. And then we do the bilateral and try to be open to what comes up in the play, what comes up. And, you know, I have had kids who could only do two sets or three sets mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. in a 60 minute session. However, they do better than somebody who has no EMDR. That's we're, what we're trying to do. We're widening yeah. the window yeah. of tolerance, right? And so, you know, understanding that, like Ann said, even if you're doing a little processing, you're widening the window. Mm-hmm. And, often big shifts happen with little kids, even in two sets, you know, it's, it's interesting, yeah. which me. is stunning, really. It, it is very it. stunning. So this, <laughs> this foster care kid with the strict mom, we did his big is his big memory. And she came back and I, I, I always laugh because I say, how's the behavior been? And she goes, he's been doing great, but I think it's because he started football. And so anyways, but you know, I asked her specific questions, which is part of my reevaluation phase. We, I, I developed one of the chapters was on popcorn night, which is re, which is closure and reevaluation, but asking very specific questions about behavior changes. And through that, you know, he had major shifts. He completed all his summer homework. Um, He, you know, when he did get mad, he was able to uh, come back and not run away like he normally does. And after the 10 minute conversation, the adoptive mom goes, oh yeah, I guess there has been big shifts, right? Mm -hmm. It's that understanding, like, even though we just do a little bit of processing, you're going to see big changes with kids. And so, yeah. I think the pieces I want to emphasize for everybody listening is I get asked so much like, oh, am I allowed to do that? Like, as if I have this like ability to grant permission to things. Like everyone wants to know, like, if I don't do it in the most standardized way, which is how we have to learn it, we have to get a solid foundation, understand the utility and the purpose of each phase. And when we really get it on that deep fundamental level, then we can come around and say, where do we get creative and modify? But as you were describing, Anne, with a a kid where maybe a moment sparks that you say like, oh, we could do like maybe just three sets of processing. That doesn't mean we have to backtrack to say, okay, what's our identified target? Did we intend to process this event or not? What's the image? Like, no, the the utility of assessment is to activate it in the system. But right. if you see it activated and it's organically happened, jump in and seize that opportunity and do what we can. And then we can make sense of how it all comes together, you know, as we integrate it. Well, and I think that's one of the things that play therapy training ha- um, offers somebody who's trying to do that because you're taught to notice and reflect and kind of narrate out loud what's happening. 
So my reflections to a kid in that moment of play are really not so far from a phase three assessment. Mm-hmm. Asking, and, you know, and I'm using gentle language like, oh, you might be, that baby might be not feeling safe. So I also, I, I really do feel that there's a lot of fidelity. Yeah. Maybe not perfect oh gosh, yeah. in those moments, but be, the trick, of course, is to know the protocol very, very well and to kind of yourself mm-hmm. carry it with you everywhere you go. I'm always looking for that moment yeah. where we can digest or process what the mind and, you know, Anna talks about Anna Gomez, who's, you know, one of our goddesses mm-hmm. in EMDR. Yeah, right? everyone knows her. Yeah. Right. So like the mind, the heart and the body, like as like a little memory device for what are the pieces mm-hmm. that I need to make sure are activated and are part of our work. And I, yeah. I never forgot that. I, I think about that all the time. And when I was new, I had post-it notes all over the playroom that said image, NCPC, body sensation, just to remind me what are the pieces. And, you know, if I do them out of order, the EMDR gods will not strike me down. Yeah. (laughs) Well, and I think, you know, that really being the protocol is internalized in us as the therapist, the fidelity is happening in the way that we are making decisions and proceeding, but you may not be able to pinpoint it exactly as an observer of the actual interaction, but it's the information that we have as a clinician. For kind of a a juicy question here, and you guys may have input on this or not, but something I grapple with is if we can do that for kids, why does it feel so stigmatized for us to not do that for adults? Because adults are just big kids. Like we're just kids with a bunch of extra masks on. I think that's changing. I think there's certain uh, presenters out there that are shifting folks. And I think Dolores Mascara being one talking about the tip of the finger, the freckle technique. I think Adi Zhang and Susie Matheson. I think there are lots of people now saying, wait a minute, we can yeah. short bar- bursts of processing. I mean, once I heard Dolores say that, I go, wow, I can come out of the closet now. It's yeah. Okay, right. Because I'm a longtime EMDR therapist. I mean, I, you know, I was in the early, I, I got trained in 1998. Like wow. I know a lot of this stuff and I'm doing it in my room, but boy, the fear of telling somebody what you're doing. And then yeah. as brave as Dolores says, I got videotapes. I got someone transcripting. I can show change. Adi <laughs> Zhang has how many years of research? Like it's okay. We do yeah. all follow the protocol. It's how you get all those pieces in the, in the session that are activated, you know, that's what you said right there, activated. And how are you working that memory to reprocess with all those pieces? Yeah. I also think about interweaves. Yes. Expanding our category of what, what's an interweave, because there are so many tools that people, you know, have from mindfulness, from IFS, you know, we're talking about parts of self from other things that really make beautiful interweaves. And then we can let EMDR do its work and just notice what's going on, right? And follow, you know, I actually had um, someone tell me early on, oh, you know, actually EMDR is really free association, right? And I was like, oh, that's not how the training feels. (laughs) That's not what they say, but. But it really, you know, and this was someone who was, you know, kind of helping with the whole play therapy idea of play therapy integration is really, there is a lot of freedom and we are able to follow the client's brain around if we can kind of get out of our own 
yeah. mindset of being being afraid to make a mistake or do something wrong and yeah. really lean on the attunement. Um, so I so I so like that you brought that word up. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I I appreciate all of the names that you share because it makes me want to go like find more of their work and and read on that. And I. I do feel that the field is moving in that direction of it being more open as we learn more about the neuroscience behind it. It's less of this mystery of like somehow the protocol is magic and so just stick to it. And it's more of like, oh, we're seeing like true neuroscience to support it. So then if we can still stick to the pieces that are like the fundamentals and understand what they are, we can bring in so much more creativity and still see the same change or, you know, incredible changes happen. Absolutely. And of course we always hope that there'll be more research on EMDR. Oh yeah. Um, It has to be. Anytime, any public forum such as this, if you're listening out there and you're, you know, in a position to start um, doing some research, what we really need um, we know that EMDR works with children. We have that evidence. What we don't know is how to make the clinical decisions about mm. what works best in different situations. And some of these adaptations, I think we would love to co- to hear more about the evidence about how mm-hmm. how they're you know working and you know comparing you know standard protocol to like a play therapy supported protocol yeah. in a yeah. population. Like I I think that would help people to feel more confident. Clinicians need to lean on research. Um, It's hard to research children. There are a lot of structural reasons for that, but it's the research that we need right now in my opinion. Yeah. There's so much of an energy in, in play therapy and newer clinicians, at least that I see that say like, how do I tell a parent what I'm even doing? And how do I tell them I know it works? And I think research is a, a huge piece of that is like, if we could understand it more and have a lot of evidence to support why play really is therapeutic for kids and play with intention um, and attunement and all of those pieces, we can explain it better. And there can be a much more, a a broader respect for the child-centered play therapy approaches. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Oh, this has been so great. I, I appreciate all of the wisdom. I feel like we could probably talk for more hours. (laughs) I feel like we just get a room full of toys here. If you want us to grab something else. (laughs) (laughs) There's so much I'd love to learn. I'm excited to share with the listeners though. You guys have offered a couple of giveaways um, that will get people connected with the work that you've been talking about. And then I also want to make sure save a little bit of time here at the end where you get to share where can people find you? Where do they find your work? Um, Because this really is just skimming the surface. Like there's so much more that you guys have put together and learned in your years of experience that I think everyone could benefit from. So let's start with the giveaways. Um, Will you tell the audience about the book that you are willing to give away? We have two books to give away to our audience. So tell them a little bit about the book and why they may want it. Okay. So the book is called EMDR with Children in the Play Therapy Room, an Integrated Approach. Um, And we have chapters contributed by um, all people who do both play therapy and EMDR with children, um, Marshall Lyles, Paris Goodyear Brown, Lisa Dion, who are, you know, big names in play therapy. A lot of them didn't know that they were also doing EMDR. 
Um, so you kind of outed them. Yeah. Uh, and also there's a second, uh, the, the part two of the book is all interventions for each phase of EMDR that are play oriented interventions. So it's kind of a quick guide yeah. Yeah. to that. And Anna Gomez wrote the foreword. And um, so it was, a, it was really a foundation for us to start building a community of people who are trying to integrate oh. these approaches. So, um, and it came out in 2020 and we have still have a lot of boxes of them. So yeah. we're, <laughs> um, it's also, I mean, it is available out there in the world yes. as well. It's yes. on Amazon and it's published by Springer. So, okay. And okay, we so are gonna, have, and we're going to give away two of them yes, and we'll sign them yes. for you. Yes. yes. Perfect. So two signed books. And then the third giveaway is really exciting. It's a free seat to one of your trainings. Yes. Coming so, up. so tell them about the training. Yeah. So we offer one of our trainings we offer is called uh, the fundamentals of plate uh, fundamentals of EMDR and plate therapy. And so it's really an eight hour course that teaches you how to do EMDR with children. Um, so we do a lot of interactive people are in breakout rooms, practicing things we teach. We show many videos. I think there's about six videos that we show how we do it with children. Um, we show soothing and grounding. It's a very interactive, playful eight hours. And so we want to offer one of your listeners a spot in the training. That's so generous. We, so we generous. screening every two months. So there's many options right. for them. It's not once a year. Okay. We offer about four, four to six times yeah, a year. Yeah. So October's the next wow. one. They'll probably another one in January. So. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, if it ends up that I'm there, I promise I didn't rig the system. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Then you can come on. You're going to give yourself a free time. <laughs> no, I will give it to a listener. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah. go ahead. Tell the how way, they can. Yes. The way that you can get this is we really want to get this episode out there to as many therapists who would be interested in this. So if you like, um, share, review, or on our YouTube platform, subscribe, um, thumbs up, all of the things. <laughs> if you'll do that with uh, the Notice That podcast in this episode specifically, send us a screenshot of that or an email at our media email. So it's media at beyondhealingcenter.com. And we'll do from the time that you're hearing this episode, 48 hours for those responses. And then we'll take those names and we'll do, we'll draw three times um, to give away the two books and the training. So again, media at beyondhealingcenter.com. And that's for liking, subscribing, following, sharing, um, anything with the notice that podcast and this episode. Um, and then we'll get, we'll reach out to you personally with that and get you the discount code or the code for the training. And uh, we'll share your address with Annie and Anne to be able to mail the books. Yeah, definitely. And something we'll also provide is how to get all me, the doll. Um, yes. So um, she is uh, actively being produced. And so it's colleagues of ours that are producing her and selling her. So we will be at the Association for Play Therapy this year. Nice. We'll be at our summit, we'll, which we'll talk about in a second. But um, yeah. All Me can be purchased uh, through the play, play training. You say it. I always, <laughs> I always mess up their name. It's playtherapytrainingresources.com. Yes. Or you can okay. Google All Me, which is A-L-L-M-E-E. -E. Yes. And it comes uh, right. Yeah. 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 Okay. So can you order it online directly? Yes. Or, okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yep, and they're, they're available um, already. And actually, um, I there's a, a number of people who have contacted us to show us pictures of them with all me. So if you get an all oh. me, send us your picture yeah, yeah. and we'll put it on our social media. So yeah, that's <laughs> so beautiful. Okay. So, and the summit. Uh, yes. Let's the talk summit. about the okay. summit. So um, the summit is my dream, a dream come true. <laughs> Annie does a lot of dreaming. Dream. It's a particularly good dream. Yeah. Um, and we really want to have a community event, you know, especially post COVID we're all tired of zoom trainings. Um, yes. so that's part of, part of it. And I'll let, let Annie talk a little bit more about her dream, but just the, the practicality is that reserve right now. If you do this work with children, you will not want to miss this because it's kind of the first time that we've had a, a conference, which is all EMDR with children. Yes. We have had little sessions at other conferences, yeah. but this is EMDR with children. It's the first time we're having this kind of in-person event. So, yeah. And you have some incredible speakers coming. As we have Marshall Lyles doing a two day and then Ana Gomez is doing a half day for us. Yeah, Plus, she's doing a masterclass for mas- hours. Yeah. yeah. Masterclass for hours. And then Anne uh, and who's next to me and then Jackie Flynn are doing the pre-conference. So it's an incredible lineup. So it's November 2nd to the 5th and playful www.playfulemdr.com is where you can go to, to just get to the summit information and then register. But the okay. other piece of this that I really want, you know, the community piece of this so I go to trainings, right? And before I used to go to a lot of in-person training and then you, you're you on your own, right? If you didn't go there with somebody, you're kind of just mm-hmm. going to your hotel room or you go eat something. And so I really wanted this to embrace more than that. So after Marshall is done training, we're going to have what we call the experiential playtime. Mm-hmm. And it's going to be things that... Um, uh, they're going to be many events that are going to occur, hopefully outside in the sand, um, but different kinds of things. Like I'm going to do parts of self in the sand is one of oh. mine that I'm going to offer after Marshall. There's inventing a, a toy or a technique. Uh, Jackie Flynn, I think, is doing something around polyvagal. So after the training, they we're going to have these more fun type of learning events after that. And then I wanted to make sure that all EMDR play therapists, child therapists have the opportunity to meet really good consultants. So eight consultants um, are going to provide group consultation on the day after Mm -hmm. Anna is done to our group consultation that folks can sign up for. And wow. receive consultation from some of the best EMDR child therapists in the country. Oh and gosh. so, and then one more huge trauma sensitive yoga. We're going to do meditation. Um, so it's an all day kind of fun connecting event. Wait a minute. I thought there were cocktails involved. And there's cocktails, of course. So, <laughs> okay. Got to We don't. Italian, you know, my, I actually have the food yeah. part of this, but we are going to have an appetizer hour yeah. where no, everyone gets to come as part of the conference in person and yeah. get to meet and yeah. socialize. And we are doing this virtually too. So if you're, if you can't make it on those dates for many reasons, we are live streaming it and recording it that they'll have it for, I think, 45 days, 45 afterwards. days to watch. Yeah. So there's two okay. options because I didn't want to, wanted to make sure people who couldn't come to the event 
could at least live stream it and right. see it. But it's not really an accident that it's in Cocoa Beach in, in November because we're so. Buffalo and that's the week it starts snowing up here. So yeah. Um, so, <laughs> Uh, and the, the venue is uh, like a four minute walk from the beach. So yeah. we really do oh see this as like a self-care. I want to invite people who are healers for children yes. to be together, to deepen our work, but also to take care of each other. So come, um, come we, play in Cocoa Beach is really our yeah. tagline. Uh, play in Cocoa so, Beach. so we're, we're so combining, we're combining professional development, vacation, community, play, learning, like all of this into a summit. How Jen, beautiful. Are you coming? Are you coming? <laughs> I don't have it marked on my calendar, but we did just have Jackie, Jackie joined us at our training and oh my gosh, she spoke so highly of it. I'm very convinced and want to go. So okay. she's been talking all about it. Yes. And, and she's an integral part. Like we're, this is something oh, we're doing man. together collaboratively yeah. with her. Yeah. So yeah, that's yeah. so cool. We've had um, Jackie and Marshall both have been on there. Now we have the two of you. So really like our listeners are quite familiar with you guys and that's really exciting. I think will be a huge selling point. So if you guys are interested in attending, where do they find out more information on how to register, cost of registration, all of that? Yeah. So it's up. So our website, playfulemdr.com, there's a link to sort of the conference microsite. Um, I can also send you a link if you want. I don't know if you want to put something right in the comments. Yeah. It's people right to registration. Yeah. Um, yeah. And uh, there are options. You can get, you know, come to all of it. You can just come certain days and go to Disney. Another <laughs> day, it is about 45 minutes from Orlando. So we do know some people are going to try to turn into a little vacay. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, uh, and, you know, our website is also a place. It's kind of a hub for trainings and also consultation. So a lot of people are interested in consultation in EMDR with kids that is kind of play therapy friendly and, and mm -hmm. integrates that. And so we have consultants and CITs who are affiliated with Playful EMDR and they also, yeah. the links to their consultation is also on our website. So it's someplace else. Okay. I come for that. So. Yeah. Wonderful. I would appreciate so much if you guys will send me all of those links and information and I'll just put it in the show notes for the listeners and they can have all of that right there. So they don't have to listen back multiple times, but yeah, absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you guys so much for joining. I really appreciate it. And I really hope that we get to continue to connect in the future and see our yeah. paths cross again. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. yes. And it was great to see your face because I've only listened. So yeah, <laughs> it's so. nice to get to meet you both. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. So thank you. Just off air now. Thank you. Thank you so much. That was beautiful. Perfect. Um, I think that will be great. We'll get it aired and I'll keep you guys posted on the giveaways of like what names get drawn for that. Right. Um, and I'll also, as soon as the episode drops, I'll send you all a link so that you can share that Perfect. as well with any platforms that you might have. Just give us like 30 minutes and we'll get you all the links and everything clearly. Yeah, that will be so helpful. Anything yeah. you want to put in there, like the doll. Right. Yeah. yeah. Yes, that will be really helpful to add to the show notes. Great. All right. Thank All you. Right. Yeah, this was great. It was so fun. Thank you, guys. Yeah, right. take care. Take okay. care. Bye-bye. Bye now. We hope that you have enjoyed this podcast episode. 
and that it will help you help your clients in the process of EMDR therapy. If you are curious to learn more about something that you've heard today, check out our website at www.beyondhealingcenter.com and go to the trainings tab for more information on our upcoming EMDR and case conceptualization trainings. You can also contact us by emailing trainings at beyondhealingcenter.com. If you want to stay connected, please subscribe to this podcast for more episodes, leave us a review, and follow us on social media by searching Notice That Podcast. This podcast is a project of Beyond Healing Media, a media creation group committed to creativity, community, and embracing the beauty of being human. If you like this podcast, you might also like the other podcasts of Beyond Healing Media. Beyond Trauma is an educational podcast on the journey of trauma therapy and what it means to be humans who have been hurt, but are learning to recover and grow, living the life we all want of safety and connection. The Burnout Educator is an interview-style podcast that invites stories from people across the spectrum of the educational system and seeks to see the human inside the role they play. It is our desire that you see parts of your story and those around you in the stories you hear. The Evidence-Based Therapist is an educational podcast where we read so you don't have to. On this podcast, we discuss seminal, recent, and relevant research on psychotherapeutics and the embodied relational sciences. How do we know what is evidence-based and how do we use it in our practice? You'll find out on the EBT podcast.